Umagyanatimirandasya, Gyananjana Sarakaya, Chakshurumilitam Yenatasmai, Sri Gurave Namaha. Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita ki jai, Krishna Das Kabiraj Goswami Mahasaya ki jai, Shlesi Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada ki jai, Bhaktivedanta Siddhartha Goswami Maharaj ki jai, Bhakti Siddhartha Sri Thakur Prabhupada ki jai, Kuri Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai, Go Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Go Premanandi. So, at this time we will conduct a discussion on Chaitanya Charitamrita. As we approach the auspicious Gaur Purnima in Sri Vrindavan Dham. Chaitanya Charitamrita was written here in the Braj. Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami authored this great work at Radha Kund at a very old age, having received the blessings of Nityananda Prabhu to go to Vrindavan and upon arriving there, having received the blessings of all the assembled Vaishnavas and Madan Mohanji. And he mercifully shares this information with us in this Adi Lila in the eighth chapter. Adi Lila consists of 17 chapters. Chaitanya Charitamrita is divided into three Adi, Madhum, and Antilila. Beginning, middle, and the end. Pastimes. In Adi Lila, we find that Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami gives a strong philosophical foundation on which he builds his entire book and subsequently discusses the life and Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So Adi Lila is very, very important to us. Madhya Lila is also very important to us and very instructive to us. As a sannyasi in Madhya Lila, Adi Lila ends with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's sannyas. Madhya Lila begins and as a sannyasi, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu preaches widely, instructs Sri Rup, Sanatana Goswamis. So much to learn from that. In Antilila, final section of Chaitanya Charitamrita, deals with more elevated topics. It deals largely with the Lord's intense feelings of separation in the mood of Radha and Jagannath Puri. Bhaktivedanta Goswami Maharaj often did not allow his disciples to read the Antilila for some time, where books like Govindali Lamrita and Gita Govinda and other books are cited in relation to their being sung selectively, tastefully by Srup Damar Goswami and Rai Ramananda, who augmented thereby the bhav of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, because he didn't allow his disciples, as a general rule, to read the Antilila, doesn't mean that we should not read the Antilila at some time, or any of these books of the Goswamis. They're meant for all of us. But that we should get a firm foundation in the philosophy of Gaudiya Vaishnavism before trying to enter into the sentiment, the bhava. The Achintya Beda Beda philosophy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, described as such by Jiva Goswami, implies the combination of these two, the tattva and the bhava. 
So the philosophy and the feeling. We should have a foundation in philosophy and know that from that strong foundation there's possibility we can get some real feeling. Otherwise, feeling without philosophy, that is not a good idea, and philosophy without feeling is not a good idea either, so both. But let one, the feeling, arise out of the philosophy. I've described in my edition of Tattvasandarbha, explaining Jiva Goswami's work, that he, Jiva Goswami, who Krishnas Kaviraj Goswami and Chaitanya Charitamrita has followed considerably in terms of laying a foundation of philosophy, if we study Satsandarbha, we can see strong influence of that upon the writing of Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami here in Chaitanya Charitamrita. So there, in that edition of Tattvasandarbha, I described Jiva Goswami's philosophical work as the canvas on which the art of love of Krishna is drawn. So we may be attracted to the picture of Krishna Leela, and we may want to draw ourselves into that. <laughs> into the picture, but we have to be on the same canvas, on the same philosophical page. So, in Adi Lila, 17 chapters, the 8th chapter, as I mentioned, Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami very kindly shares with us some of the story of his coming to write Chaitanya Charitamrita, as he does indirectly in the 5th chapter, where he relates how Nityananda Prabhu sent him to Vrindavan. Otherwise, over 17 chapters, much ground is covered. In the first chapter, Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami gives a 14-verse Mangalacharan. The Mangalacharan is analogous to, in modern times, the preface to a work in which one acknowledges those who have assisted in the work and tells something about the work in a aphoristic style. All the great works of the spiritual writers in our tradition have a Mangalacharan. Mangalacharan literally means the invoking of auspiciousness. So in Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami's Jaitanya Charitamrita it covers 14 verses and then there are three other verses that could be included in that. After giving the, this preface this Mangalacharan, then he begins to explain the Mangalacharan, how he has written it, what it covers, and then he goes on to seek the blessing of the readers, as he has already sought the blessings of the great contemporaries of his time and those who came before him and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, also his readers, he implores them to pay very close attention to Chaitanya Charitamrita the discussion of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which he will enter into in terms of that which is explained in the sacred revealed literature, not from his imagination. And then Kaviraj Goswami begins to elaborate upon the two verses of Chaitanya Charitamrita Zadi Lila in his Mangalacharan that constitute the Namaskar, offering of obeisances. A Mangalacharan generally consists of three elements. Namaskar, verses in which obeisances are offered to the presiding deity. Then Vastunirdesh, a verse that describes the subject of the book. And then 
Ashirvad, a verse in which blessings are invoked. So in chapter 1 of Adi Lila, after giving the Mangala Charan, Krishna's Kaviraska Swami begins to explain his two verses of Namaskar in which he has offered his obeisances to his gurus, Bande Gurun. And the word Gurun is in the plural. So he offers his obeisances to his gurus, and this is significant, especially in the times in which we are presently living in, in terms of the international Gaudiya Vaishnava community. We were criticized at one point, and even today we find ignorant and illiterate persons in terms of the tradition voicing the same type of criticism, a criticism for having more than one guru, having a Diksha guru, having a Siksha guru, in the form of A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada and Bhakti Rakshak Siradeva Goswami Maharaj. Although this is highly authorized and it is implied here and further explained later on in this chapter, but implied in the very first opening words of Chaitanya Charitamrita, Vande Gurun, says, I offer my obeisances unto my gurus. So Chaitanya Charitamrita speaks of a plurality of gurus. We should have one guru, but if we have one real guru, then we'll have the experience of many gurus. Sometimes in the name of not having any one guru, people say, I have many gurus. But in effect, they have no guru. But if we have one real guru, then that real guru will give us access to the experience of a plurality of gurus. The whole guru parampara, in which a certain type of siksha guru is also found. Siksha guru who has passed from the world. A shastra guru even, we can say, like the Goswamis who have written the bhakti shastra for us. Eternal well-wishers whose instructions have been left behind and current or contemporary living Siksha Guru to guide us and augment the Diksha, help it flourish, blossom, flower, bear fruit. And there may be more than one such Siksha Guru we are taught. So a plurality of Gurus is very central to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. If we study the literature and the lives of the great associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we find that they lived in such an environment where it would be hard to avoid the plurality of gurus. Chaitanya Charitamrita, at the end of practically every chapter, Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami says what? Sirup Raghunath Padejaras Chaitanya Charitamrita Kahi Krishna Das. So at least two he's mentioned there, Rupa and Raghunath. In other books, like his Govindali Lamrita, he has mentioned others as well. So Vande Gurun. Prabhupada used to say this is the Chaitanya Charitamrita is the postgraduate study of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Bhagavad Gita we were discussing in the morning and I mentioned this morning that it was a basic book. But in all of these books they are all perfect. And so when we say basic it means the basic entry and beginning level is stressed. But it's not that the highest level is not found in there. And so in some of the literatures, the beginning level is also there, but it's not stressed. And some of the more developed themes are stressed. 
So Chaitanya Charitamrita, from Bhagavad Gita we have a basic teaching, Bhagavatam, more developed. Bhagavatam is considered to be like the heart of Krishna. We discussed this to some extent the other day. Sadyo hridaya varudhyate tra kitibi sususubhistakshanat. Sadyo hridaya varudhyate tra. Immediately, Krishna becomes arrested in the heart of one who simply desires to hear Srimad Bhagavatam. In a conservative way, Jiva Goswami, which is characteristic of his commentary, has stated that this happens for one who is coming to bhakti either through curiosity or through knowledge, rather than through distress or in want of material gain. These four types are mentioned in Bhagavad Gita. Arto jignasurartati jnani chavaratarshava. In Jaiva Dharma, a classic work of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, we find two principal characters, Brajanath and Vijay Kumar. And they pass through the whole development of religious and spiritual life from the very beginning to the very end. And we may notice that they do so very quickly. <laughs> if you've ever read the book, they're going from one stage to the next very quickly. And it sounds like progress on this path is quite rapid, but our own experience may be quite different. It takes quite some time. But the reason that they've gone very quickly, if we study the book carefully, we'll see that they came to bhakti one more through jignasu, through curiosity, and the other through jnan, through being very learned already in the scripture. So this jnan in particular indicates some purity of heart. And when the heart is pure, like a crystal is pure, and whatever you put it next to, then it will reflect that. If you put a crystal next to a red rose, it will become red. So if you put a pure heart next to bhakti, then it will capture the heart. The heart will take that color. But we find that many devotees are coming to bhakti from a motive of distress or in want of something. In time we find out they really wanted something else. They thought it was something other than what it sounded like, like our Prabhupada. He was called Swamiji by his fledgling followers on the Lower East Side in New York. And as he began to manifest himself, actually in those days he was teaching Chaitanya Charitamrita. He started out explaining a bit more than he, what he later gravitated to as his standard discourse, having been able to assess the adhikar, the eligibility of the audience by his own experience. I think he backtracked a little bit. Anyway, at that time, as he began to come out, so to speak, and reveal who he was and what this was all about, not everybody stayed on board. Swamiji was a nice fellow to visit and so forth, but when it came to accepting initiation and embracing the implications of that, when he was asked... I think he said that, so tomorrow there will be initiations. <laughs> Nobody, from what I can gather, having heard the history, 
was necessarily thinking about that or knew that, that what that involved or that that was part of the of what Swamiji was all about. And so someone volunteered a question, what is the implication of that? Tomorrow there will be initiation, so anybody who wants to be initiated can sign their name on the board here. Prabhupada kind of had to get the ball rolling. In the beginning, when we started preaching uh, independently, apparently independently, but under the auspices of Srila Sridhar Maharaj, who personally encouraged me to go out and do something for uh, the Sampradaya, he told me that Swami Maharaj, Prabhupada, wants you to do something, so you should go and preach. That time we were independent of Prabhupada's formal society, but we had his good backing and blessings. And he told us in the beginning you have to collect some people to get things going. He said they may not all stay, but you have to take that risk. And once something's up and erected and standing there, then it'll be easier for other people to come and then you can be more selective, was kind of the implication. So Prabhupada needed to get something going. So he let them know that this was part of his program. And when he was asked, well, what are the implications of that? What did he say? He stood up and said something like, it means that we accept the guru as good as God. And then he walked out of the room. And so some people also walked out of the room. <laughs> they said it was nice, but that's a little too much for us. Whereas others had heard better and more and were charmed and followed through. And then consistently Prabhupada revealed more of what the program was. He gave some structure to it. One day he decided, so now we will have Mongol Arctic. And now we will institute Bhakti Yoga. So the movement was going on for some time. And in Prabhupada's estimation, he hadn't really instituted Bhakti Yoga. He was basically just teaching, preaching. They were hearing. And he was purifying them to reach a point where he felt he could institute various practices and that the new students could take them up and follow them and advance further. So people came for different reasons. And Sridharmarsh very uh, beautifully and with much profundity, he spoke on the disappearance of Sri Guru shortly after the departure of our Guru Maharaj, Srila Prabhupada, from the world. He spoke in terms of it being the disappearance of being a blessing in the way of speaking loudly to the disciples as to what was the experience of his presence all about. What was its purpose? What was it for? What had really happened in those years? And caused us to look deeply within ourselves to examine what were the teachings. And many of us were tested very, well, all of us, I guess we can say, we were, we were all tested at that time. The course ran its course and now what have you learned? Suddenly the teacher left and left us with the teachings that he had planted in our hearts and we were to take them and apply them in the real world. And not everyone passed the test. And today there's so much confusion in the international Gaudi Vaishnav community about very elementary points. 
and perhaps the foremost of which is the first point here in Chaitanya Charitamrita that Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami seeks to address. The principle of respecting, worshipping, honoring the Guru, and he wants to inform us of a plurality of Gurus. Vande Gurun. Vande Gurun Isha Bhaktan Ishan Isha Vatarakam Tat Prakashan Shatak Chakti Krishna Chaitanya Sangakam. Following his offering of respects to the Gurus, he offers his respects to five other principles. Vande Gurun Isha Bhaktan. Isha Bhaktan means the devotees, so the Vaishnavas. Vande Guru Nishabhaktan Ishan Ishavatarakan. The avatar of the Isha, of the Lord. Tatprakashams. Tatprakash means the expansion of the Lord. Tatshakti, the Shakti of the Lord. And Isham himself, Sri Krishna Chaitanya. These six principles, he offers his Namaskar, and these six principles will be explained in this chapter, chapter one of Adi Lila. And also the second verse of the Mangalacharan. Here in the first verse, in a general way, he has offered his respects to his deity. And in the second verse, in a more particular way, he says, Bande Sikrishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sohodito Godadai Pushpabanto Chitro Sandotamonado. He offers his respect to Gaur and Nityananda, who have appeared on the horizon of West Bengal like the sun and the moon simultaneously to bestow benediction upon the world. This verse he will also explain at some length. And then he goes to the third verse in chapter 2. The third verse of his Mangalacharan is the Vastu Nidesh Shloka, the Shloka that reveals in a aphoristic way, speaks of the subject of Chaitanya Charitamrita. Yada dvaitam brahmupanishadi tadapriyasyatthanubha yatmantaryami purusho itiso samsavibhava sadaisvarya punasa iha bhagavan sasayamayam na chaitanya krishna jagati paratattvam paramiha whole second chapter is dedicated to this verse explaining Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in terms of his being that Tanubha, the light, effulgence of Brahman, non-dual consciousness, Yadadvaitam Brahmupanishadi, of the Upanishads, Tadapyasya Tanubha. He says Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that Purusha. He is the Paramatma that presides over the material nature. Then he is Bhagavan, Sadaishvarya Purna, full of all six opulences, my obeisances unto him. Second chapter deals with this verse. There he establishes that Krishna is the Supreme God, source of all avatars, and that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that same Krishna. A very nice and scientific presentation wherein he invokes logic and scriptural references to support his conclusions, presenting them in a very tasteful way. The fourth verse of the Mangalacharan also speaks of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's the Ashirvad Shloka of his Mangalacharan, in which a blessing is offered 
अनापित चरी चरत करुणयावती नलो सर्पयित उन्नतोज्वरसम स भक्तिश्रिय हरिपुरत सुंदर द्युति कदाबसंदीता सदारदया कंदे स्फुत वास चिनंदन दिस वर्स इज एक्सप्लेन्ड इन चैप्टर थ्री दिस वर्स स्पीक्स ऑफ द एक्सटर्नल रीजन फॉर चैतन्य महाप्रभुज डिसेंट द डिस्ट्रीब्यूशन ऑफ ब्रज भक्ति थ्रू नामसन कीर्तन the highest mellows of devotion and their distribution in kali yuga through namsan kirtan the means principal means the external reason for chaitanya mahaprabhu's descent is enough to make us faint that he's opened the doors to braj bhakti and made them so that realm so readily accessible by such a sublime means as namsan kirtan so after these four verses we have the three elements of a mangala charan namaskar in two verses vastu nidesh shlok and the ashirvad shlok then verses 5 and 6 describe the internal reasons for chaitanya mahaprabhu's descent and this is also part of his mangala charan extended part of the mangala charan and in chapter 4 this is explained in detail and in the context of explaining the internal reason of chaitanya mahaprabhu's descent chaitanya mahaprabhu was krishna in the position the duty the bhav and the luster of radha seeking to understand the nature of her love in the context of explaining that he explains the chintaveda veda tattva philosophy so as you can see as i mentioned earlier he's giving us very strong philosophical foundation in adi lila Chapter 5 explains the next 5 verses of his Mangala Charan. We had 3, 4, 5, 6 and 5 makes 11. They all discuss the truth about Nityananda Prabhu. And as I've mentioned at other times, Nityananda Prabhu was a difficult person to understand because he was very unorthodox in his behavior. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself made it a point repeatedly to point out to the devotees the importance of Nityananda Prabhu so that he would not be misunderstood in terms of his external behavior which could be misleading so krishnadas kaviraj goswami has followed this example and made it a point in introducing nityananda prabhu to speak of him in terms of his ontological position as the source of all the vishnus the mool sankarshan seshanag the sandini shakti the support of everything of all the worlds who manifests the spiritual world who manifests the material world who manifests the spiritual world in the material world the idea is a very big and very powerful person there he also speaks a little bit of achintabeda beda he speaks of nitinanda prabhu's extraordinary position and in relation to his manifesting the material world and being involved with it but aloof from it he paraphrases bhagavad gita's ninth chapter where chintabeda beda tatvas discussed krishna says there i'm in the world i'm not in the world see me and you don't see me And as I mentioned earlier at the end of that chapter having described the ontological position of Nityananda Prabhu he shares with us 
out of his infinite kindness, Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami, secret experience of his that he said is more confidential than the Vedas themselves. I shouldn't speak about it, but if I don't, the extent of Nityananda Prabhu's mercy will not be known. Therefore, I feel obliged, compelled to say something. And he does, and it's wonderful. He reveals how his faith in Nityananda Prabhu propelled him to Vrindavan Dham. He had such faith in Nityananda Prabhu that seeing in his own family the lack of that faith, he abandoned his family. He was prepared to live without hearth and home, and Nityananda Prabhu made a home for him. He brought him to Vrindavan. For those people who are prepared to abandon their hearth and home, as it becomes necessary sometimes to do so for the service of the Lord, sometimes this culture of the absolute ideal and moving in the relative world go along on parallel lines. We can do the same both at the same time, but sometimes in the course of that we're called to separate ourselves from the relative in consideration of the absolute. And when we do so, we endear ourselves to the Lord. It always looks as if we're standing on firm ground, but it's uncomfortable. And there's a sense, although it's invisible, that there's ground in going, answering the call of the Absolute when it calls us to leave the relative behind. But it seems that we will pursue it at some risk. Because it's intangible. When I was fortunate to gain the shelter of Srila Sridhar Maharaj, I was moving in that direction, actually at a very speedy rate, having read Sri Guruna's Grace for the first time. I was accustomed to being able to answer devotees' questions very authoritatively, as well as the common people in the general preaching. And Prabhupada Society at that time had taken a position on Srila Sridhar Marsh, and I hadn't been really questioned about it. And one of my godbrothers, who had read Sri Guru and His Grace, and had respect for me, kindly asked me to read the book to let him know what was wrong with it, although he felt there was nothing wrong with it. So I thought, well, I haven't dealt with this issue yet, and some of the leaders are saying there's a problem here, but I had respect for Sridhar Maharaj, out of just common sense. But I thought there must be something wrong, otherwise why everyone is so strongly against what he's saying. So let me read the book and find out. So I read chapter after chapter after chapter and with great interest. Not only was Siddhar Maharaj giving some information, hardly was he an information bureau, but he was drawing the reader in to the essence of what Sri Guru is all about. And that was, as I mentioned earlier in today's talk, such a big issue at the time. It is today, unfortunately, as well. Still people are questioning how one can have two gurus, although it's such an elementary point in a sense. The issues at hand at the time were really a body and soul issue, which is really fundamental and basic to spiritual development, but it was taking an, an illusory form of a spiritual institution from which we had gained some life in our soul. But it had become at that time 
somewhat distanced from the very purpose for which it was founded, and it had become less capable of actually giving spiritual life. The form of the institution at the time had considerably gotten in the way of the substance that it was meant to deliver. So this is really a body-soul issue, but a tricky one, <laughs> because if you join a spiritual institution and make spiritual progress in that, only to find that perhaps at some point to your amazement it's no longer providing that, although it seems to be going through the same motions. Such a thing can happen. And I, I don't mean in saying this to, other than constructively criticize the ISKCON society, and I feel quite qualified to do so as a longtime member of ISKCON and a person that Prabhupada said was a founding pillar of ISKCON, supporting pillar of ISKCON, I offer this constructive criticism that which I gained from that matter from higher authorities myself along those lines of course we can gain from criticism we shouldn't run from that we should try to listen to our critics however even unqualified they are we should try to listen to whatever they say and try to find something in there that's valid and apply that in our life, and that which is not, well, we can then in turn critique that and be of service to those critics as well. So that we say something here and it's recorded that it sounds like a criticism of ISKCON, I wanted to clarify. It could happen anywhere. And when I read that book, Sri Guruna's Grace, it so much changed my life. I began to cry halfway through the book and I realized no one can speak to me like this in such a compelling way but my own guru. And he's reappeared in a different form as Bhakti Raksak Siddhadeva Goswami Maharaj. So I immediately called up the publisher, editor of that book, my dear godbrother Bhakti Sudhir Goswami Maharaj. And he laughed. He said, well, if the incarnation of book distribution says the book is good, then it must be bona fide. <laughs> because Prabhupada had called me the incarnation of book distribution, and he encouraged me to try to distribute the book. At the time, we felt that everybody being basically sincere, we are all brothers and sisters, and I guess we had a few nephews, and some had spiritual sons and daughters at the time. The sense was everyone was basically sincere, but we didn't have all the information perhaps we needed to come to the proper conclusions as to what to do in Prabhupada's absence, and Sridhar Marsh was there to offer that some of that uh, information, that give that knowledge, and Prabhupada cracked the door in the least to let him in. So we thought, well, just it's just a matter of a couple of months or something like that, and everything will change. And we had a sense of both things, the sincerity of the people involved and the value of what Sridhar Marsh was giving, that it was so clear and obvious but anyway, we were wrong about that. And although Goswami Marsh encouraged me to stay within ISKCON and circulate around, because I was a well-known person, and canvas these ideas, as soon as it came out after a few months that that was what I was doing, then I was quickly shown the door. The door that I came in, I was shown out, and I realized if the solution to this society walked in the front door, they would show them the back door, because that's what had happened in the form of Sridhar Marsh's advice.
And as I was on my way out, one godbrother came to me, and he said that, you know, Sridhar Maharaj is very old, and he's also quite sick. He said, Maharaj, you have a very good reputation in ISKCON, an impeccable reputation as a practitioner and as a preacher. ISKCON has so much facility to offer you. If you go to Sridhar Maharaj, you lose all of that. And he's very old and very sick, and he may die any day. If you go there, and you lose all the facility on this side, you'll be on that side with nothing. I said, goodbye. <laughs> I'm going. <laughs> Such material calculations I cannot relate to. He may leave tonight, as I'm on my way there. The better I went. So my point is this, that when, in pursuance of the Absolute, it calls on us in such a way as we have to leave the relative, although the two may go on parallel lines for some time, ultimately, they're just a little bit different. At the beginning, if you draw two lines and you just tilt them a little bit, then for a long time they'll go on on a parallel, but after some time they will split so far apart till this relative existence is so distant from the Absolute when we go the distance. And as we pursue our spiritual life, then sometimes it becomes apparent. We have to make the move, we have to change. And it's always a little disconcerting. And it always looks like, well, we've got some ground here to stand on, maybe it's not so bad. That sounds like a good idea, but it's a little intangible. How will it play out tangibly in our life? At that time, when we find ourselves making that kind of calculation, we should take a leap into the Absolute, and we'll find, oh, there's such firm ground to stand on there. What I left behind was nothing. Shiddha Marsh used to say, it will look like all risk and no gain, but in the end we'll find out it was really no risk and all gain. <laughs> so that's Kaviraj Goswami. He has taught us this. When he saw that his family had no respect for Nityananda Prabhu, although they had respect for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he said, if you say you love Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but you don't love Nityananda Prabhu, you're a hypocrite. Better you just say that you don't have any love of God at all. These two go together. Vande Sri Krishna Chaitanya, like the sun and the moon, Nityananda Sahodito Gorodai Pushpavanto Chitrasamnotamonado. He left home. Nityananda Prabhu made a home for him in Vrindavan. He shares this story with us. How he got Nityananda Prabhu's direction, go to Vrindavan. Narutam Thakur teaches us the same thing. Get the mercy of Nityananda Prabhu. Then you can live in Vrindavan. And then in his Mangal Charn, verse 12, 13, he glorifies Advaita. And then 14, he offers his respects in his Mangal Charn to the Panchatattva. And so in chapter 7, he explains Panchatattva. In the context of explaining the Panchatattva, he explains a little bit about Tachati further, the Shakti of the Lord, although it's explained in the first chapter, as I mentioned, where he explains the first verse of his Mangalacharan. The Shakti of the Lord means Garadhar and Sribha. So a little bit he speaks 
about Godadhar. Not at length. This is curious. At such length he's spoken about the three Prabhus. Mahaprabhu, Nityananda Prabhu, Anadvaita, but Garadhar only a little bit there. A little bit hidden way. But Garadhar is a complex person and Garadhar is said to be Radha and Gorlila. But Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami is trying to explain that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Radha and Krishna combined. So perhaps for the sake of allowing us to keep our balance, he's not gone into great detail about the esoteric position of Garadhar as Radha and left it for other charges to explain. In other words, it's enough to grasp that Krishna is the Supreme God, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna in the mood of Radha, searching after Krishna. <laughs> and then to say that Garadhar is Radha, and perhaps he thought, don't want to make your head spin too much. This is a very head-spinning philosophy. It turns everything upside down. Very uncommon knowledge is the standard of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Baldi Bhujibhushan has said a nice thing in his Govinda Vasha, his commentary on Vedanta Sutra. He says the Upanishads with which the sutras seek to explain are speaking about secret knowledge, uncommon knowledge. What is uncommon knowledge? Well, the common knowledge is that knowledge of material world, material goings-on, knowledge of names and forms, which is a kind of ignorance. So is uncommon knowledge then the idea that these names and forms are illusory and that there's a common underlying unity to existence and that the appearance of variety is illusory? Is this uncommon knowledge? He says, no. Just the polar opposite of material form and variety in the form of formlessness and unity, that's not uncommon knowledge. But when you combine that or you take that a step further and you go from the illusory nature of name and form to a unity that underlies it of consciousness to spiritual form and name, then this is uncommon knowledge. Do you follow me? And if you try to explain, I've experienced Vedanta of Gaudi Vaishnavism in the Western world, my sense in discussing it, in lecturing about it, is that people can follow me to some extent as we describe the illusory nature of material existence, the relationship between senses and sense objects and the implication of being involved in that, to description of the soul, and the underlying unity of consciousness, they can follow it. But when we go from there, after having described the illusory nature of forms, the body and so forth, to describing consciousness expressed as the form of beauty, Sri Krishna, not only Sri Krishna, but Radha and Krishna, they don't follow me, I can tell you. I can see it. They don't follow me, but they also have a sense that he's talking about something deep. I met with Dr. Obi El Kapoor yesterday, disciple of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and also, somehow, he's also a follower of Gorongadats Babaji, and he finds a way to harmonize that. I respect Dr. Kapoor, and my Guru Maharaj also showed some respect for him, and he's 92 now, and I thought, well, maybe no one's taking care of him very well, so I should at least stop in and see if that's the case. 
out of respect. I know that my Guru Maharaj would think like that, so I went to see him, and he was fine and actually quite robust in his health. He said he had no disease. And although I'm not able to agree with everything that Dr. Kapoor says, I, it doesn't stop me from having much regard for him. And anyway, while we were discussing, he told me a story that he had told me before. But I listened to it again with relish. And it was about his meeting with Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur as a young man and how it brought about such a change in his life. He said that he was a follower of Shankar and he was a learned fellow, a scholar, so he was very much acquainted with the Advaita Vedanta doctrine and convinced by it. And one disciple of Saraswati Thakur, Giri Maharaj, he heard him speak and he was impressed by his explanation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He had, of course, heard of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in school, but he had thought of him as a reformer, never as God himself. But the Giri Maharaj was speaking of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as God himself, and he found that intriguing. So he stayed for some further discussion, and, of course, Giri Maharaj tried to convert him from Advaita Vedanta to the Vedanta of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Achintya Veda Veda Tattva. But he was unsuccessful. This argument can go back and forth, back and forth. And it's not by argument that one will be converted from Advaita Vedanta to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Vaishnava Vedanta by something else. And Giri Maharaj knew that. If someone's really, really learned in Advaita Vedanta, then not by argument. Because there are so many arguments and scripture can be cited in so many ways. So Giri Maharaj was wise enough to know this fellow cannot be convinced by argument, scripture, reasoning and discussing on this level. So he suggested, I cannot convince you, Mr. Kapoor, but why don't you come and see my Guru Maharaj? He will be able to convince you. So uh, after some time, a meeting was arranged and Dr. Kapoor was sitting in the room and Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada came in. Just the two of them. He sat down and he spoke for about an hour about Braj Bhakti. And Dr. Kapoor said, in such a beautiful way, he talked about Krishna Leela and Braj Bhakti, that I was charmed to hear such a description. He ended his talk, he got up and he walked out. He never addressed any of my questions about Advaita versus Vaishnava Vedanta and the logic of either and so forth. With great feeling and bhav, he spoke about the Krishna Leela. And in this way, he converted Dr. Kapoor. Dr. Kapoor became his follower and disciple, and for six months, after every class, when Saraswati Thakur would ask, are there any questions? Dr. Kapoor would raise his hand, and Saraswati Thakur would ignore him. <laughs> so he became a good disciple of Gaudiya Vaishnav. Through and through, he's a Gaudiya Vaishnav. So, from 6th chapter, 7th chapter, Panchatattva, and discussion of, in brief, of Mahaprabhu's conversion of the sannyasis at Banaris, which is again elaborated upon in Maddalila, he goes to 8th chapter, as I mentioned earlier, there he tells his own story in terms of coming to write Chaitanya Charitamrita. So he's finished at this point discussing the Mangala Charan, 
Then he discusses the figurative tree of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and its fruit bearing in terms of love of God and all the devotees who are the branches in chapters 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 after giving the basic philosophical foundation and all the players in the drama of Gaur Leela, principal players, describing all of them in brief, he's ready to start the narration of the Leela itself, the advent of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Then his Kumar Leela, Pogonda Leela, his Kishore Leela, his youth and sannyas and Madhya Leela starts. This is a brief overview of Adi Leela. And tomorrow we'll discuss in some depth this chapter 1. Chaitanya Charitamrita Ki Jai.